This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Okay, Topol Maps Plus is one of the world's leading backcountry navigation apps, turning your phone into a fully functional GPS unit. Backroads Maps Books is proud to offer maps as an in-app purchase for Topo Maps. This makes it super easy to download mobile apps for offline use. This way you can get accurate and reliable GPS tracking and navigation well out of cell and data service. With Topo Maps Plus, you can view your location on the map, add waypoints, trace new routes, measure distance and elevation, change and share your tracks with your friends, you know, once you're back in service. Never get lost with Backroads Maps. Make sure you use the promo code FOCUS too, guys. You're going to get 10% off. A little quick tip there. Um, okay, welcome to another episode of the Focus Hunting Podcast. The Focus Hunting Podcast is part of the Waypoint Outdoor Collective. For more information on Waypoint, head on over to waypointtv.com. Great episode here. I'm super stoked to get out to you guys. Uh, I'm joined by my good friend, Paul McCartney. I'm sure you guys are familiar with him by now. He's uh, He's been on this show. This is third time, and he's been... Uh, on countless other podcasts so great stuff he's actually hosting his own podcast uh which is part of hunt to eat so make sure you guys head on over and check out uh, the stuff they got going on over at hunt to eat and also listen to paul on his podcast great stuff uh not a lot to say here this is a great conversation we get into forest fires bears paul talks about his trip moving across canada and uh we talk about uh you know just some hunter ethics and uh trophy hunting and and, and all that good stuff. Hope you guys uh, enjoy this conversation because I really enjoyed uh, having it with Paul. So you know what? Good. Very good. Uh, in Whitehorse, it's pitch, well, not pitch black, but it's still quite dark right now. So doing well. Yeah. How about you? Good. Good, man. Busy. Busy summer. Yeah. Same yeah. here. Yeah. Lots going on. Forest fires are pretty crazy. Yeah. Did they, did they affect you a lot? Yeah. They, uh, they, well, I mean, it, it was kind of funny because we were watching the forest fires, obviously, when they started here in, in British Columbia. And then 
you didn't pay a lot of attention to them because they were so far away. And then we had this one, uh, the White Rock Lake fire. And man, it started burning in, I think, the end of June, early July. Mm -hmm. And then by, you know, the middle of August, it had moved all the way down and it was on the other side of the lake. Um, So, yeah, pretty crazy. So it came down like quite a bit of uh, slope and elevation there then. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it uh, well, it started over by Kamloops area and then it went all the you know that worked its way all the way down to uh, down to us here. And you know, Kamloops is a two hour drive, so holy smokes! Yeah, yeah, that's a big, we went. Uh, I was uh, on a field course this summer, I was teaching a field course at Yukon University. We were we paddled the Stewart River and then into the Yukon River and up into Dawson and went through um, an active burn. Oh, yeah. um, which was ended up being, you know, it's a lot less dramatic than what people are picturing from BC. I mean, we could see smoke coming on the, on the hillside and see little bits of flame here and there. And the whole hillside was scorched, but trees were all still, I mean, there were still kind, all kinds of standing trees, but mm-hmm. um, you, know, you smell it from way off and you can hear trees popping. And um, I guess they see smoke kind of coming up from different areas and stuff. So um it was like, I mean, it was wild to go through it. It was, it was, it, it was pretty kind of cool to see it, but um, gives it, it, it's hard to visualize, mm-hmm. you know, what these, what these things kind of look like. And then you kind of go through and realize, you know, this isn't that, that one was not big and not dramatic. Um, and just kind of what's going on in, in forests as they, as they, as they burn and how dynamic and how, um, you know it's just not it's just not as straightforward and as, as kind of you, you picture you know yeah no definitely there's uh yeah there's something else and i mean they're all a little different too right i mean like you look at that one that ripped through uh through uh linton there um just wiped that town out it's crazy yeah exactly yeah yeah it's i drove wild. through there yeah i drove through there in the middle of september and it's something out of a horror movie really eh yeah, it's uh, it's pretty eerie driving through yeah, there. Just I you bet. know, like you see just buildings burnt right to the ground, and then you just you know you're driving through and you see, you know, half playgrounds that are half standing and and bicycles that are sitting on the side of the road scorched. And it's yeah. it's like literally like the scenes you when you like post apocalyptic horror movies. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So. Man. Yeah. Hopefully. Uh, hopefully. It, down here the province has a plan yeah. of, of, of what to do with these forest fires but uh yeah i don't know i don't know the way to go as i i know they people talk about they need more more controlled burns and mm-hmm. um you know maybe selective logging rather than clear-cut logging and i don't know yeah it's it's one of like I, i've i mean i've d- done a little bit of you know work and research on um forest fire ecology and sort of the history of forest fire suppression policies and, and then, you know, ecosystems that are fire dependent. And it's like, I mean, it's so difficult to know what, like yeah. what we do at this point into in, in 2021 after, you know, decades. And I mean, a hundred, many dozens of decades of mismanaging as, as the case as often is ecosystems that are fire dependent and mismanaging fire policy um it's just tough to there's just been so much change to the 
ecological communities and forest communities in areas that are fire dependent. And then, like you say, logging practices and other land management practices that it's just like, I, it's, I, it's so difficult to know if and how we get, can ever get back to a, um, a place where fires are and, and fires are not devastating, you know, not to yeah. mention then the, the changing nature of the fires themselves is unpredictable because of things like temperature changes and, you know, um, moisture regime changes because of climate change and all that stuff. And, um, it's yeah. just, it's going to be such a challenge in the future. Still. Yeah. De- oh, definitely. And you think like in, uh, in BC here alone, we had, uh, this year in 2021, there's 8,700 square kilometers of land burnt. That's unbelievable, man. That's a, that's a lot. In one land. year. One year alone. And the intensity of them is, is yeah. the other thing, right? That it's like, it's not, it's, I think this is some of the things that we need to have a challenge kind of communicating around fires is that, um, they're, they're not the same. The, the di- fires are so dynamic and so it's like if you you know you set a piece of paper on fire on one corner you, you know you can be pretty sure how it's going to burn across the piece of paper but then you go and like drop little bits of gasoline on that paper at different spots that right. changes how it burns then you soak the whole thing in gasoline and see how the intensity of changes and i think this is, like, this is some of kind of it's a crude analogy but like how we're seeing with forest fires is that the, the intensity of them, the speed that they burn and, and just the way and the patterns they burn is just, is changing so much and becoming so unpredictable. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's something yeah. else and that's just it. I mean, you know, the land, like BC is such a diverse place and some areas they just, how they burn is completely different than how they burn in, in other areas. So yeah, exactly. And some, yeah, I mean, you go like here in Kelowna, I mean, you know, that we've seen temperatures this year of, 48 degrees plus right mm-hmm. and then, i mean you go a little bit further west and you're on the coast and all of a sudden it's you know snap of the fingers and the topography changes and yeah yeah it's tricky yeah so uh how was your move move was good uh move was hectic yeah. <laughs> but it was great man we so we like when we moved to labrador in 2017 um it was in the winter. So you're, you're the last, I mean, it's multiple flights from Ontario to get there. It's at least three flights. And the last flight is on little sort of 17 seater twin otters. Um, so we didn't, we sort of packed up in a, in a hurry to move uh, and you don't take everything. We just, you just can't possibly take everything with you. So a lot of stuff went into storage in Ontario. And then we were in Labrador for four years and then we decided to drive to, to Whitehorse because we wanted to uh, pick all of our stuff up. <laughs> so we, <laughs> yeah, so we, uh, and you always think you have less than you do. Oh, I yeah. do. always think, oh, I don't own much. Um, but there's like 15 boxes of books. Yeah. <laughs> and then, so anyway, the, the, it was great. We drove, we had a, we had a six by 12 cargo trailer that we drove from Labrador down to St. John's, Newfoundland. And we were there for the winter, 2020, 2021 winter. Um, and then we started out from there in May and drove to Ontario and very quickly realized we either needed to get rid of a lot of stuff or we needed a bigger trailer. Um, <laughs> so we got a bigger trailer, yeah. of course. So anyway, then swapped up to a seven by 14 and then made the, it was something like almost, it was like 10,000 kilometers that we covered from start to door to door 
um, you know, from the, the, we were at one point, we have a, we have a picture of standing at Cape Spear um, National Monument in uh, Newfoundland, which is the farthest, the most eastern point of North America. And there's a sign, there's a, this cool kind of four-way road sign that points to all of the northern, south, most northern, southern, and western points in North America. And the most western point, in, in, or rather in Canada, and the most western point in Canada is Kluwani National Park, which is where we are now, basically. So wow. went fully from the most eastern point to the most western point in the country. Yeah. <laughs> so it was cool. great, though. It went well. Um, How long did that, that drive take you? That's That's quite the journey. Yeah, well, we took... We when we left Newfoundland, um, the whole all the Atlantic provinces were really starting to to get into into a bad place with COVID outbreaks. So we we um, we had some marathon drives those days from Newfoundland to Ontario. Oh, Ontario yeah. and Quebec were kind of a mess as well, and it was just sort of um, pouring in coffees and Red Bulls and making the drive, so we didn't have to <laughs> stop anywhere. Um, so we hit Ontario. Um, took a bit of a breather to repack everything, pick up all of our stuff there. Then from Ontario to Whitehorse, we it was about ten days, to, um, which was which was like not a not a um, grueling. They weren't grueling drive days. We had the dog with us, right. so I wanted to get her out. Um, so those weren't grueling days, but they were. It was long enough. I mean, uh, so yeah. it took ten days from Ontario to Whitehorse um so did you guys go what route did you take like did you go down through the southern part of the the maritime provinces or did you go up like what was your route you took yeah so came through i mean we hit every province except pei and sort of oh, okay. drove by the bridge to pei and yeah. uh so yeah nova like nova scotia new brunswick up through quebec and across and then if we had been going straight to whitehorse it would the route would have been different we would not have gone yeah. through more southern Ontario, but because we were stopping in in Peterborough, Ontario, went did there, and then it was up through North Bay and Sudbury, or um, Sudbury across the northern end of the Great Lakes, um, and then you know through blew through Manitoba and Saskatchewan, and then up through Edmonton. Oh yeah, okay, yeah, gotcha. and then um, went up through, came into BC and did, I'm. I'm I'm forgetting the exact order of the the main towns, but through um, Fort St. John, yep, right, and up um, in through um, Muncho Lake and Liard yep. River and all that, and yep. took took our time a little bit through that area, through um, Muncho Lake and um, a couple campgrounds there. We went to the Liard River Hot Springs, which is like it's such a cool place. Oh yeah. Um, so we took a couple shorter days there to be able to see. I'd never been to Northern BC, so. Um, my, it was my first time seeing um, wild sheep and wild bison um, coming up through northern BC. So that was, I mean, I shouldn't say my first time seeing wild bison. We drove through Elk Island National Park and saw bison and then had a lively conversation around what constitutes wild, free-ranging wildlife, right? Um but then, yeah, up through up through BC and just the, the the wildlife we saw there was, I mean, to see I'm from Ontario, so to yeah. see sheep crossing signs on the highway was but like yeah. it was cool. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah, that's one neat thing about BC. There's a lot of cool critters for sure. We have those on the other side of the lake there, Okanagan Lake. Is, it's full of of bighorns and yeah, we get those. It was it was super cool. We stopped at um, one spot and they have a road sign that kind of has a map that goes through the different 
um, different species of sheep and the different subspecies of sheep and where the lines are. Um, you know, in some cases where the actual biological lines are for different subspecies, but then all, other times kind of what, what they're called differently and where, how they sort of delineate the, the subspecies. And so it was really neat to get to kind of dive into the different yeah. species of thin horn sheep and, and uh, as you get up into the Yukon, the, the doll sheep and fan and all that, and, and those different um, subspecies. And I didn't, I didn't, I done a little bit of reading on sheep over the years. Um, Valerius Geis has a great book about studying sheep, but yeah, I, uh, I, I yeah. actually, uh, I bought that one. Oh yeah. I was supposed to, yeah. I was supposed to have Larius on the show and it, uh, and we got our times mixed up and uh, it didn't work out and then uh, sadly after two days after we were supposed to do that show he had his uh he had his first issue his first health issue oh man so yeah he was uh you know and i wasn't aware of this at the time and then i you know i, I kind of reached out him a couple more times and then he had gotten back to me he actually texted me and, and he told me what happened oh, nice. and, uh yeah i was in shock and then we were supposed to line it up again and then uh and then he started not feeling good again um and then that was the last i heard of him so it's it was so sad so that that book yeah. that i'm probably the same one you're talking about, uh, talking about um mountain sheep and man in the northern wilds yeah um yeah i and, haven't got into it yet but um yeah i have a whole bunch of his books I, I i went online there and i found a whole bunch on ebay so everyone i found i i went and purchased but i haven't yeah that, to- that was a big loss to the yeah conservation and science and hunting and, and, you know, science communication communities. Um, that was yeah. definitely a ripple. Yeah. So. It's, uh, it's too bad. No big part of uh, wildlife in mm-hmm. North America. That's for sure. Yeah. And that particular book, I think was, I really liked that one. I mean, the stories you told about it's called, and it's called mountain, um, mountain sheep and man, but he also does a lot in that book around, um, mountain goats as well uh but uh one of the things that i I did not know about the book until i started reading it was it was really his that book was really kind of his personal experiment into a different form of science communication i mean he's a he was a brilliant academic and scientist and conservationist and he but it had spoken a lot to the academic communities in that book he talks about it was sort of his he was sort of experimenting around communicating science to the to the popular community right. and to the public and the non-scientific public and was kind of seeing are people interested in this is it worthwhile and does it work and can i do it uh and i mean my answer would emphatically be yes he can yeah. and yes he could and did it very well but that part of thing to me i think but you know when he wrote the book it um it just shows that he was a visionary in a few different ways because that's now one of I think one of the most critical parts to conservation and, and science and science informed conservation and engaging people and caring about the world is, is figuring out how to communicate well and not just how to communicate well. And in, in, it's not enough just to be accurate and not enough just to be correct about the facts you say, but about, but to be engaging and, and speak and kind of frame things well to the communities you're talking to. And that's something I think he just, he just did so well it was humor the book's humorous and it's interesting and it's engaging and it's you know uh it's a good story too so um yeah yeah no he's i uh i first actually heard about uh valerius case a friend of mine uh a good friend of mine gave me his book on mule deer and uh right away i just fell in love 
that's you know inevitably led me down the path to this infatuation with mule deer um but yeah just uh yeah just the way he he puts everything together and it's like you said it's from his own personal experiences it's not you know he was out there which amazed me is you know he was the guy he was a guy that was out there spending time with the mule deer throughout the entire year he you know he he was out in the bush and yeah just uh just amazing man yeah it's uh well, totally and that's I, I love that i mean um i was just double checking here i don't know but what year the mule deer one was but this sheep one was 1975 yeah. so i mean the book is like he talks about going out and building his cabin <laughs> To, yeah. to live out there and study and so this is still the era of i mean no one's using you know drones and yeah um that's really what I mean. kind like, of, yeah he's out, and he's he, he was engaged yep. himself and you know you know what i mean it's not he, this is not something that you know he did a bit of research on and then you know he took it bits and pieces from other people this is all personal experiences and this is stuff that he actually witnessed and encountered in the wilderness and i mean you know BC is not a it's not a forgiving place in mm-hmm. the middle of September. Never mind the middle of January. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. So this is mule deer country. When yeah. you're talking about, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so I need to read that one yeah, as well. It's great. Um, yeah, it's great. But it does it does make you um, sort of nostalgic for that. Yeah, that absolutely. time of in of naturalism and and wildlife. The study of wildlife is just you know descriptions and people they're out there just making drawings and describing what they see and. Um, it's uh it's it was a it was an important time yeah yeah absolutely man it's uh he's gonna be missed that's for sure mm-hmm. so this is your first time up in the have you been to the yukon before you moved there yeah we took a couple trips here uh for work um so i was up we, we some some friends of ours were out who lived in labrador and we were there all had moved to whitehorse and so i was in Juneau, alaska a number of years ago for us for a, for a work trip and um and then I sort of took a drive, took a jaunt over, and Christine, my partner, came to Whitehorse. We took a bit of a vacation to see the place and visit our friends, and, and uh, loved it. Uh, loved it right then. Um, went to Kluwani and did some, you know, did some cool stuff. Um, and sort of said at that time, well, if we, if and when we leave Labrador, this will be a strong contender. Uh, and then I was back for another work trip a, a year later, and it was one of those, you know, let's see, let's see if it's still holds out to the romantic memory of the place from the trip and it did just loved it still so um we yeah i'd been twice uh and um so knew that it was a place and and we had a lot of friends who were here it's funny for the size of the place we have probably more friends people we know in whitehorse than any other city in canada oh really it's which is like (laughs) it's sort of a funny funny (laughs) thing how certain places attract certain people um so uh we knew we were going to like it and um, we do. And there's just so much to do here. It's unbelievable. Yeah. That's one thing I, uh, I mean, don't get me wrong. We're, I live in South, Southwest or Southeastern BC. There's, there's lots of stuff to do, but um, living up North there, especially on the coast, it's uh, yeah. You just miss the, miss the ocean and just, yeah. The endless supply of, of uh, wildlife and scenery. We do miss the ocean out. That's something that we've talked about. We both, we both grew up in uh, Ontario. So moving to the ocean in Labrador, um, I mean, we could see minke whales from our, from our kitchen window. Um, So being there, we, you know, absolutely became attached to the ocean. 
it was a completely different way of thinking about about weather and about travel and, and what you do outside. And, um, and so moving away from the ocean, we definitely miss that. Um, being in mountains, you know, bigger mountains is, is amazing. And the wildlife here is, um, it's just unreal. Like uh, the, the number of species that are walking around here. Um, so there's, uh, we do miss the ocean. It's also nice to be in rivers. And this is something that was different, different too, is sort of a, a place that is, uh, I imagine BC is similar to this as well. In some cases, a, a place that in a landscape that's um, in a lot of ways structured and defined by the movements of rivers mm-hmm. rather than the ocean. Right. Yeah. So it's, it's sort of, instead of, instead of this movement right to the coast here, it's, it's river water, it's mass yeah. of river watersheds and the Yukon river is just, it's such a huge river um, going from BC to the, to the Alaskan coast. Um so, well, I, I don't, I suppose, it, I don't know if it starts in right in BC, but at least connects watersheds in, in, um, from BC and Yukon, right to the coast. Right. So, yeah. I mean, so it's sort of a different, different way to structure your thinking around how, um, the landscape is, is kind of organized and what is this, the, the sort of organizing principle of the landscape and it being rivers instead of, um, ocean. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But cool, man. So what? uh. So how does it work up there? Are you allowed to hunt up there this year? You can hunt small game. So you got to be game. a resident here for a year, okay. um, which is agonizing right now because yeah. we're here right for the all through the year, the peak of it. But yeah. the I gather they do so that people can't just come and say, oh, I'm a resident and hunt, yeah. you know, get access yeah. to all the hunting. But we can hunt small game this year. So we've got um, spruce grouse and ptarmigan there's uh ground squirrels and i'm looking i'm trying to get into ground squirrels i love squirrel hunting um so arctic ground squirrels is a brand new species um and i'm i'm trying to get get into that and see what they taste like but and then uh then in next year um so a year from when we got here then Mm -hmm. we can get into all the big game you know and that's like over the counter licenses or yeah, that's what, what my next question was going to be. What's available over the counter? Yeah, so <laughs> over the counter, you can get sheep, goat, caribou, moose, and bison. Nice. Now, some of those, some of those, there are dry units for. Yeah, yeah, sheep, definitely. But, yeah, yeah, but there are a lot over the counter, and those are, and then, um, and then there's draw, there are draws for elk and mule deer. Right. And those are. I have, I gather exceptionally difficult to get. Um, yeah, there are not many given out. No, I don't imagine there's a huge population of elk up there. Well, I it's, mean, I could be wrong. I don't. I, it's sort of interesting. Like, um, the, there is there's a decent population of elk in an, in one area. So I've seen I saw more elk this summer than any other oh, species. Right? Wow. I mean, and by like massive amounts. Um, so there, there is, there is elk, um, but they were, there's not a huge population and, um, there, so they were, they were kind of, they're reintroduced. And this is another, um, one that is always, always an interesting discussion is, um, where the line is between introduction and reintroduction. So, you know, elk have been, elk were here in Northern Yukon, um, to, right to the end of the Pleistocene, um, but were extirpated about 1,500 years ago. 
So they were reintroduced uh, in, in 1950 for hunting opportunities. Um, oh. Yeah. So, I mean, to me, I mean, I would absolutely consider that a, a reintroduction. Um, yeah. But uh, there are just not many licenses given out. So, yeah. um, but they're, they're in one area here, uh, I was doing a angler harvest survey this summer, uh, Twin Lakes in, in Yukon, which is just north of Whitehorse. And um, driving back in the evening, I'd be there till 10 p.m. and then drive back. And um, in the peak of the summer, when it was light all night, you'd see a couple. As soon as it started hitting that dusk time, there were, I mean, there'd be on one drive, I'd be seeing 14 and 15 and 16 elk on the side nice. of the road. And that's like what you see, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Exactly. So it's, yeah, yeah. So there's, there's definitely, a decent popula- population concentrated in an area, um, which was, I mean, that was amazing for me. I hadn't seen the only time I saw elk before was when I was here on vacation a couple of few years ago. Um, so I saw, you know, and I got to see them throughout the season. So you'd see the bulls on the side of the road and then saw a one drive, a, you know, full velvet bull. And then the next drive I'd see, I saw, we got to see one with the velvet draping off of its antlers and everything. Yeah. Um, so that was great. It was it was really cool to see all of them. Yeah, no doubt. What was it like uh, with uh, all all day daylight? I guess that was great. I mean, we had a bit of that in Maine, Labrador. Um, it would it, it wasn't quite full daylight like here. So that was about fifty six degrees latitude, so a little right. bit lower than here. Lower, yeah. But it would be certainly, um, you know, it would it would get real that kind of glowy blue for for an hour or for a couple hours between like you know 12 30 or one o'clock in the morning and two o'clock or 2 30 to two three o'clock so we're kind of familiar with it but here i mean you could you could read a book outside yeah. all night long it was really cool I, yeah crazy. i mean it's uh no, I, it was definitely interesting. And now we're getting into the opposite side. It's nine o'clock right now and the sun is not up yet. So oh, we're sorry. <laughs> yeah, 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 I guess it is. You got to take, take one with the other. I take I, them both. Yeah. That's one thing I hate about the winter time is just the lack of daylight hours. Yeah, I do too. Um, sort yeah. Of and I, 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 even especially in the evening, I, yeah. I like, I don't mind if it's dark in the morning, but in the evening, uh, I, I don't like having it dark. Yeah. I, I, I'm the same way. I would prefer it be um, like light later. You know, if it's eight o'clock when it gets light, that's fine. As long as you mm-hmm. get it at the end, I mean, it's going to be the same amount of daylight in a day, no matter what. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's what drives me nuts about daylight savings time. We switch it back <laughs> and then we lose, and then we lose a, an hour of daylight in the evening, which. Well, and that's, bonkers. and I, I mean, so I, I like, you know, I have to be, super pedantic but that was i always wanted to stay on so like daylight savings ends in november yeah and so it was like especially during hunting season in ontario the end of the clocks always went back so you went back to like standard time the weekend that deer season started yeah sorry that's yeah i like daylight like i like totally yeah daylight savings i don't like the yeah which is sort of a funny thing i like the i like like, it light later in the day exactly it's sort of a funny thing because it's like daylight savings well why would i ever want to go off a thing called daylight savings then yeah like so and that was always the thing and you know you're like oh great i get i have to get up an hour earlier now to go out to go deer hunting um but here they don't we don't they don't uh, 
no so you're going to be an hour i guess an hour behind from me in a, yeah. in a few days and everyone it's else weird, will eh? catch up a bit but uh i know i i was i was happy that well i guess it's always six to one half dozen the other a little bit because if you don't change then it's which time are you really on but yeah um yeah, I'm excited to not have to change time zones or yeah. change times anymore. Yeah, I feel like we should be we should be over with the whole daylight savings time. I don't know. Yeah, and some provinces are thinking about it. I guess. Yeah, Terry. BC was it, talking but... about it, but they needed they needed uh, some of the states to some of the southern provinces or um, states below us to get on board. Oh, is that right? Yeah, that's from oh one article I read. That's what they were talking about, but. Um, okay, I like didn't realize Washington that. Washington and California weren't in Oregon weren't into it, so BC was. I don't know. Who knows? Yeah. Okay. We're not doing it. We're, we're switching. Yeah. Seventh. Yeah. There's yeah. A, you've seen that great meme that's like, you know, people who think you cut you cut an an inch an inch of your blanket off the bottom and sew it on the top and top. Think, yeah, you exactly. think you've got a longer blanket. <laughs> yeah. I know. You still get like yeah. We're not. We're not getting any more daylight. We're not losing. No, it. no. Yeah, I know. It's too funny. Too funny. So, uh, yeah. How's your season been going? Uh, good, good. I, uh, it, uh, you know, I, I was elk hunting in early, early season and I had a nice, I had a, a six point six by six, smaller six by six. Had him at 50 yards during archery. He sat there. I had literally had 15 minutes or maybe even oh, longer to uh, debate whether or not I should take this one or not. And this is on the second day. This is September 2nd, second day of opening archery, elk opening. Okay. And I let it walk. And then October 20th, I was out looking for one on October 20th and I was kicking myself in the butt for letting that one pass on. So how come you let that one pass? What was the like criteria for the well, decision? Well, like I, in this one area where we're hunting, I, I've, uh, in the early parts of the summertime, I had a really big, really big six by six on one of my mm-hmm. trail cameras, and it was in the same area. So I figured, you know, um, this, you know, once the the rut starts, this guy's gonna be, he's gonna take over, and he's gonna be, you know, it'll be easy for me to track him down, um, but. Uh, it just never happened. Yeah. He, uh, for some reason or another, he, he, he didn't come back. So, um, yeah. And, uh, yeah, I missed out. Um, like I said, uh, a month and a half later, I was kicking myself for not taking yeah. the opportunity, but, and you know, the thing is, you know, you've, I mean, you've obviously heard it never pass on something that you're going to be looking for in the last day. Right. And, uh, yeah, I was going to say but, that too, but, uh, yeah. I say I say that all the time too. You know what I mean? I always say that. I say that to other people. I say it to myself. And yeah, bait my own words this year. Yeah. For elk. But uh, other than that, it was good. Uh, um, got a nice mule deer. Uh, nice. And then I had an leh draw for bighorn. So uh, I got I got a bighorn, which was oh nice. you did yeah. Oh man, good for you. Yeah, yeah. So I filled that leh tag. I got it with my bow actually, which is pretty cool. Holy smokes. That's amazing. Yeah. Now, so what was the deal there? Like, did you have to fly in somewhere for that? No, no. It was up in, uh, it was up in region three, which okay. is a little wetter. It's easy. It was easy to drive to. And I got a, I got a great buddy who, he gave me the inside scoop on him. So nice. Um, 
Okay, yeah. so you're like you you like you started me out feeling like bad for you on the elk, got my sympathies <laughs> up there, and then uh, you but you came away from the season doing doing pretty well then. Yeah, oh yeah, and it's still um, I mean moose here opens November first, but it, it's a spike fork, so I mean that's, okay, you know that's a crapshoot, and uh, and whitetail deer start. I start hunting. I mean whitetail deer hunting starts September first, but. I don't usually start hunting the uh, the whitetail deer till middle to the end of November, and then that's when their rut probably kicks up. Yeah, eh? yeah, yeah. I find the end of November, early December, you really start okay. to see some some of the bigger bucks. Uh, the activity of of the whitetail just you know increases. So yeah, um, yeah. I uh, like I that was what I started hunting was whitetail. Well, I started with turkey, wild turkey. Um, yeah, yeah. I got a turkey this fall too, which was oh uh, nice, kind of a relief. It's funny. I was out with a friend and, and he's a new hunter. So I took him out and, uh, and we didn't have a small, we didn't have a shotgun or we didn't even have a 22. We had my bow and his 30 odd six. Okay. So, and I was driving around. I mean, I was hunting, uh, I was hunting Turkey this spring and I was ready to give up hunt turkeys altogether. I was just like, I didn't have a good <laughs> spring Turkey hunt. Right. You know how it is. So, uh, we're, we're, we're walking, we're walking down this old uh this old service road and a flock of, you know a big flock of turkeys walks out right in front of us and i was like oh hey we got some turkeys here and i'm sitting around i was like i had my bow in my hand and i'm sitting there like man i wish i had a shotgun and i was like wait a sec i got my bow in my hand yeah bonehead so yeah i ended up sneaking down on them and got within i think it was 40 yards and i got one so uh i came home That's it impressive. was funny because it was the day before thanksgiving so nice. it were, yeah, I came home, I came back to uh, my, we were staying down at my folks place and uh, yeah. So I, I came home with the Turkey this year. Which was turkey for cool. Thanksgiving. Nice. Yeah. So we had, I uh, love those had, birds. Yeah. Yeah. It was kind of cool. Cause we, we cook them up on a, a spit over a fire and we had uh, the wild one and the, uh, and the store-bought one that, that we already had. So. Oh, right on. That's great. Yeah. yeah. And uh, my buddy, unfortunately we didn't get a deer for him, but he had a blast anyway that's awesome that's great i I mean i loved i miss turkey hunting for sure that's something that i'll do all that that's something that i will have be very excited to come down to bc for us to get back into turkey hunting come down uh yeah it's probably a a day drive yeah one good day drive where you can break it up you could go to prince george Mm -hmm. and then from prince george down to Kelowna, and then we just go east from here so anytime yeah i know i would like to do that in the spring it's something that i miss a lot um from Ontario is that's right. That's what I started with turkey hunting in the spring. Yeah. And uh I love it. Um so I'll definitely do that. I'll definitely yeah, get down absolutely. for that. It'll be good. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's nice just too. such cool birds. Yeah, they are. And spring bears open and it's, we have a lot of yeah. uh color phase bears down here. Oh nice. No, I oh man, and that's uh, the other one driving up through BC. I could I mean I lost count of how many bears we saw. Yeah. That drive. But there no they've they became they became my favorite wild game over the last several years. So in Labrador, I mean, th- that was the only big game species that I could hunt um, myself, just an over-the-counter like yeah. sort of license. So that was what we focused on was bears and got a couple bears from Labrador over the years, um, over the, the couple of years we we're hunting there. And um, I've got on the wall behind me right now, the a picture of the bear, the last bear we shot and the skull from the first one there. Um, and it's, it's become one of my favorite, species to hunt and probably my favorite wild game 
And yeah. I know that people, that's a divisive statement, but <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> well, I, you know, I, I love black eating black bears I, and I love them hunting them even more. I mean, they're mm -hmm. just such a, they're hard. They're a hard critter to, to hunt. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think a lot of people have this idea that black bears are, you know, you just drive down a road and you see a black bear and you shoot it and it's, it's easy. Right. Um, mm -hmm. but it's not the case. Well, I also like that because they're so wide ranging, yeah. you know, straight across the country, um, not the continent, but just for an Canadian context, which means that you, you are not hunting them in the same terrain in the same method across their range. And um, in a lot of cases, I think that's, that's a bit different for other species, you know, wild Turkey, the methods that the methods and the sort of certainly the terrain the landscape changes between bc and ontario of course mm -hmm. but you get a bird that still responds to calling and still has you know you're, you're sort of approaching it in similar ways i hunted bear in labrador um on the from the ocean driving you know trying to spot them from a boat in the ocean and then yeah. get up and get up and getting up into thick brush or beach areas where they're eating mussels i've hunted them in ontario over bait because you're in a forest that you can't that you know your your line of sight is 30 yards because you've cleared trees yeah and then i'm looking forward to hunting them here on in the spring on sort of those exposed slopes where you're look you can see them yeah, yeah. so spot, that, more i of a like spot and stock method yeah exactly and so i love that about bears they, they really for me tie together in such a cool way all these different one species that can tie together all these different methods and landscapes and um, habitats and stuff. So, um, yeah. and they're just, a, they're just such a, I, I agree with you. I love spending time with bears. Yeah. They're fun to watch. Tied. I just love, I love yes. watching them. I just, you know, and I, I, I haven't been into bear hunting all that long. And um, this fall I was, I was trying to get a bear, but I was trying to get it with my bow. So uh, I got, you know, I had a couple, if I would have had a rifle, I, I could have had them, but uh, I just wanted that extra, extra challenge you know that little mm -hmm. element of difficulty so I, my goal and, was to get one with the bow but i got to the end of november so oh good yeah yeah and bear meat um i think people uh have a sort of a mental challenge sometimes eating yeah. bear meat but i have yeah. long maintained that anyone who who i want to turn over to wild game who i want to bring into wild game i it's bear if, if they're yeah. if they're good mentally sort of emotionally eating it it's bear meat that I will choose to serve them. Um, yeah. My mom, when I was in Ontario on the drive here, left her a bunch of bear meat from Labrador and cooked her some. She, she had she like cooked it for her before and she loved it. But so I left her a few chunks of it and she's met, she sent me two messages now saying she's cooked herself up some bear stew and a roast and stuff. And my mom does not hunt. She's she's never, um, you know, gathered her own wild game. Yeah. And here she is cooking black bear meat on her own yeah. for friends. So that's cool. You know, it's, uh, it's, if you, if that's, I mean, that's, if I, if someone says to me, I want to try wild game and I want to absolutely love it. Oh yeah. It's bear stew or, or slow cooked bear roast that I'm doing for them. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's one thing I, well, we've talked about this before is that, you know, I just, I need to work on my cooking skills of wild game. Cause you know, if I make it, my wife eats it, but she does, she just, she, she has a hard time cooking it. I don't know what it is, but she just, yeah, it's funny. She. I yeah. have to get, I basically, I, I got to do it if, uh, if it's going to get done in our household. So mm -hmm. I got to just, uh, I got to just work on that. I, I bought, uh, I got a, 
for my birthday there i got a, a good book on on cooking wild game so i'm gonna have to put it to use this winter oh nice yeah we we have loved we both like to cook here but we absolutely love experimenting with wild game and i think one of the one of the places we had to get to with it because i'm not a chef and i'm not and i don't i would never claim to be the, the best yeah. cook um but you know you when you get i mean just looking at two deer or two different bears um you don't know what you're getting in some cases oh, absolutely. the meat's going to taste yeah. so different so we had yeah, to get exactly. to a, a place where it was like you know i've certainly i've cooked the best and the worst meals of my life using wild game yeah. because sometimes i'll cook it and it's like oh i just missed the mark on that one and because it's not that like you're not going to the grocery store and getting the exact same well, exactly controlled cut of meat and yeah, so sometimes it, it's just as not good <laughs> yeah well exactly and the, i mean you can get a whitetail for instance you can get a whitetail in begin you know middle of september and it's going to taste a lot different like a, a buck you can get mm -hmm. that's going to taste a lot different than one you're going to get in the end of november yep and sometimes um and so we you know we certainly are at a now or like we'll cook a thing of a meal of wild game and not to sound real you know cliched about it but you enjoy it because it's the meal of wild game yeah and so when it comes out a bit too tough or you know the flavors aren't quite right it's like i'm still enjoying it yeah because it's the it's a thing that we or friends of ours hunted and it's wild game when it tastes perfect it's you're on top of the world but otherwise yeah. um we still just enjoy cooking with it and yeah. and trying different things with it and so that yeah. part of stuff to me is just as enjoyable um and so i don't mind even when i even when i'm like even when i wouldn't serve it to someone because it's too tough or whatever the case is uh, you, you still really enjoy it absolutely um and that's one thing that you know my my wife and she's not the only one she just gets so used to the just the bland consistent um taste that you know store-bought chicken or beef has do you know what i mean mm -hmm. like it just all tastes the same like a chicken breast i mean obviously you can cook it a little different ways but it like a, a chicken breast tastes like a chicken breast, which doesn't have a lot of taste to it, if you ask me. But yeah, yeah, you're never gonna you're never gonna Pepsi challenge someone on a chicken no, breast and have exactly. them ever guess where it came from. <laughs> exactly. So yeah, um, yeah. yeah. I'm looking no. forward to uh, trying because that's the other thing is I've had I've had bison and elk. You know, you go into like um, mm -hmm. restaurants that have bison and elk burgers or sausages, but those aren't wild. They're farmed. Yeah. Um, and so I've, I've not, I've never had, I don't think I've, I've ever had wild. Uh, I've had wild bison. I have had wild bison. I don't know that I've had wild elk now. And, and, and I, as a rule for myself, I, I typically just will not buy farmed wild game. Right. Um, and here, like, they do have, they have elk farms. Uh, and, you know, as I said, as a general rule, because I don't know enough about exactly how to evaluate wild game farms um, in terms of their um, ethics and ecological ethics. But one of the big problems with wild game farms is that they're a common, they can be a, a, a common a vector for disease transmission to mm -hmm. wild populations. So as a general rule for myself, I just don't buy wild game that's been farmed. And yeah, don't I don't think I've them. ever had. I, I well, I, I know I've never had um, farmed elk. 
Mm-hmm. I wonder how much it tastes. It'd be cool to do a Pepsi challenge. With, uh, well, that's what I'm, that's kind of what I'm, yeah. Because now all people say like, oh, have you ever had elk? And I'm like, kinda. <laughs> because, yeah, I, yeah. because I, like, how do you consider? Well, exactly. And now I've eaten lots of wild elk. Like yeah. elk that I've shot and elk that other people have shot. But I've never tried farm. So it's it's hard for me. It's hard to me to say whether it's uh, whether I've done it or not. Maybe somebody will uh, will let us know if if there's a t- difference in taste. Yeah, I'm I am curious about that. And um, did I was saying we were I was saying this recently. I guess well, okay. The different... Well, one one you know example is um, you know like on Thanksgiving there on the same it's the same yeah. fire pit. We had a wild turkey and a store bought turkey, and they were cooked the exact same way with the same. You know what I mean. Yeah, uh, same seasoning on it, and they tasted completely different. Oh yeah, exactly. Um, so that's that's a good question. You know, it'd be interesting. To have, yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, and um, and I think that, that like that's an, and that's in a super interesting comparison because domestic turkeys, from my understanding, and again, I'm I hope Stone will kindly correct me if I'm wrong here, but are typically as just a subspecies of a wild turkey. Um. I mean, there's certainly some morphological and visual differences, but I, as far as I know, domestic turkeys are subspecies of um, the, I'm trying to remember the exact, which, which species of wild turkey, but um, one of the wild turkey species. And so, so similarly with elk, I mean, farmed elk, it's an elk in terms mm-hmm. of genetics, it's an elk. That's not the case when you get to beef, right? Farmed beef. Is, yeah. a, is a species is a difference you're not going to the wild ancestor of farmed what we now have as farm beef is extinct yeah so we don't have a, we can't, a direct yeah. comparison for mm-hmm. farmed beef and wild beef not in, in that sense right we do for elk and yeah. and bison and t- to a um debatable extent turkeys so it's it is an interesting comparison to, to take two they're the same species and see um if they taste the same and even if they do taste the same i still have there's this still this ethical part of me that is has has a challenge with with supporting game farms knowing that a lot of our issues with things like chronic wasting disease yeah um and in some cases there's been there's been concerns with disease transmission between sheep and goat between farmed and wild mm-hmm. populations. Yeah, well, that, that's the problem, you know, that the wild sheep society is facing is Movi, and it's transferred from yep. domestic sheep to wild sheep. So, yep. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And uh, um, so it's Eastern Eastern wild turkey, just to just to fill fill in my my blank there is the is the, the domestic or subspecies of Eastern. I oh believe. yeah. Yeah. Um, and then I mean, pigs are a, such a great example of that because the again the domestic pig suscrafa is the same species as wild pig yeah you release a wild a domestic pig into the wild and it takes five minutes to become to become wild because it's the same species um and i would suspect again i i i'm sure there are many people who have done this pepsi challenge but i would suspect that domestic pork is a is different from wild pigs yeah you'd think i would think there would be um yeah yeah that's interesting that's a good question. I'm thinking, you know, I've had bison. I can't remember if it was store-bought or if it was wild. Well, here, I'll tell you what. Here's what we'll do then. We will, uh, I will come there and we will hunt elk and wild turkey. 
Yeah. Because it's be very difficult for me to get an elk tag here. And then yeah. you come up here and we'll hunt bison. And we will uh we will do a big experiment with these with these yeah. things. <laughs> Sounds like a deal, man. I'd yeah. love to hunt bison. I'd love to hunt that that's it's um it's my probably my top goal here. I mean caribou, yeah. absolutely caribou Definitely. is up there. But bison is just something that I've been so excited to get into. And that'll yeah. be likely it, most people hunt it in the winter. Um, most people do it on, on snowmobile in the winter. Um, I would like to do it on foot. I'd like to try doing, getting one on foot, um, you know, on a poke, on a sled or whatever. Yeah. And doing it on skis or snowshoes. Um, That'd be cool. Yeah. It's, what it's, about, uh, uh, what about brown bear up there? Is that LEH? How does that work? You know, that's a good question. Um, I mean, they do, there are, there are brown bears here. Um, I haven't looked in a whole lot to. Cause the brown bear hunt, it's, you can still hunt brown bears in the Yukon. Yep. Yeah, you can. And I haven't, I just haven't looked in a lot to it. Uh, have you hunted them ever? No, here it's. Uh... Well, yeah, not now, I suppose. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely not now, but uh here it's uh, it's all LEH, or here it was okay. LEH. Uh, I applied for it for, man, numerous and numerous years, and I never got it. And then, uh, obviously, in 2017, our unelected yeah. government kiboshed it. So yeah, so here, I mean, it's it's twenty five dollars for a, a license for Grizzly here from residents, um, and I don't think it's a, a draw. I think, I mean, I know people who who will get a Grizzly tag when they go out um you know caribou or moose hunting yeah so that if something does happen with the oh, grizzly yeah. and you have to shoot it then then it's a it's a hunt and not a yeah. you know you don't have to do kind yeah, of worry about it being defense yeah exactly so i um i don't know if there are units for grizzlies um certain draw units but from what i understand most of it is just over the counter um and i don't think it's super popular among residents um yeah. certainly non-resident the non-resident hunt is is the big one for yeah for grizzly absolutely. bears yeah, yeah and then you're looking at you know, hundreds and hundreds of dollars for them. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll see. I'm not sure. Like, are you super interested in grizzly bear hunting? Oh, bear hey, hunting? if, uh, if I went up there and hunted and I had the opportunity to buy a tag, I would definitely buy a tag. Yeah, like I... you say, you know what I mean? Like if you're out in a hunt and you come across, you know, you come across one and you have an opportunity to, to harvest one, no doubt in my mind. Yeah. Eh? Okay. So I, I've been, it's something that I've been, um, kind of questioning over the years as particularly as, as we knew we were moving here um I, i'm just i'm not sure if i'm interested in hunting a grizzly bear um yeah. like i would, I, take, I'm I would take it i would treat it the same way i treat a black bear like, oh totally yeah, yeah yeah absolutely and don't get me wrong it's not i'm not asking are you interested in just yeah shooting a black bear, a, a brown bear it's yeah. I, I i fully agree if i do it'll be the same with the same mentality and the same mindset as a, as a deer or a black bear but um there's no doubt in my there's no doubt that for me they are a different species in sort of in the in the imagination my imagination um so i'm just i just haven't really ever sort of and that's weird eh? i did if i if i am interested or not you know that's weird um that i mean you and and people and myself included to just have this i mean you know, it, it's just a bear. It's just, you know, yeah. it's like we, but we just, for some reason, we don't look at it the same way we look at a black bear. No. Um, and I, and I, and I'm, um, do you know what I mean? Like it, it I totally know what you doesn't, mean. It doesn't I, deserve any more respect or, you know, you know, it, 
than a than a black bear but no and that's the thing i don't know what it is i mean i've been on a polar bear hunt um i wasn't hunting it myself i was on a hunt with someone else and we shot one and did the guy the hunter shot one and um i've eaten polar bear several times i have no i it's one of those i think again there's just not as many comparisons across species so white-tailed deer is a white-tailed deer Mm -hmm. you know um uh wild turkey there are certainly different species so maybe that one's different as well but with bears you have three different species main species of bears in canada and so you have this like opportunity to compare and they and they have they have so much different the 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 sort of portrayal of them in the media and popular culture and politics and everything is so different across those three species that i feel like I can't help but see them differently because that's how we've been on a, on a cultural and, and social cultural level. Yeah, They're very that's different. That's how they've been portrayed as totally. And, and yeah. I've sort of, I've, I've worked on polar bear research. So I have a different relationship with polar bears than I do with black bears where it's been purely a, um, a hunting situation. I have no relationship with grizzly bears because I've, this is the first time I've ever lived in, in, in an area where they live. Um, but I, I agree in terms of biology and meat, consumption and hunting ethics and all that i i don't see them any different i have no issue with people hunting grizzly bears um because they're grizzly bears where other people i think do we treat them we treat grizzlies and certainly their biology and ecology is different and population dynamics and especially you think about their sensitivity to things like habitat disturbance and things there's a there are big differences there between grizzlies and black bears and so the management is different but within Within, you know, what we can presume to be a, in, in a lot of cases here, Yukon included, a system of well-regulated and well-managed hunting, I, I don't see them as different in that way. Um, and so there's this, I do have this kind of question, internal question of, you know, why am I not driven to hunt grizzlies like I am black bears? Um, yeah. And yeah, maybe it's... I just need to do it. Maybe I just need to go try it and then kind of come to terms with with whether or not it's different and why yeah a bear is a bear yeah Mm -hmm. um interesting and maybe that's maybe it's about maybe what i'd like to do is go out with someone on their hunt right yeah someone i feel comfortable with and trust and can kind of dig into these to these conversations with and and see you know um yeah then i maybe my then maybe i'd be fired up to humble myself yeah no doubt but like i said i'd uh if i get the opportunity um I would definitely have one in my pocket because it's just something. Well, I mean, down here, you know, obviously we'll never get that. We'll never get the grizzly bear hunt back. Um, I don't think anyway, I can't see, you know, once something's gone, I can't see them, you know, saying, unless, I mean, obviously, you know, uh, we start getting uh, a lot of, a, you know, a lot of grizzly bears showing up in Stanley park, like the coyotes uh, did. Uh, yeah. I can't see it coming back. Yeah, and I wonder how a you know, future change in government will yeah, deal with I that because, I don't, like you say, it's just the the, the social. It's already gone it now. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? It's already gone, and I think politically, uh, politically, they wouldn't want that much scrutiny over giving yeah. it. You know, it's already gone. I, I think it'd be different if it was still on the table, and say, you know, the government was, say, the NDP government was considering it, and you know, say it was, you know whatever it was it, it hadn't been done yet but and then all of a sudden we switched to back to like a liberal government mm-hmm. then, it, then they'd be like you know just kind of sweep it under the rug but now that it's gone i i just can't see it 
coming. Back. Yeah, I, uh, I unless tend unless to agree. yeah, unless there's like I said, you know, unless all of a sudden it's the same with the Coyotes, right, down in Vancouver. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, I guarantee you a lot of the people changed their mind on on coyote hunting once you know people started joggers and stuff in Vancouver started getting nipped in the butt and and stuff from those coyotes so well and maybe you know maybe the thing with bears too is I, I don't I don't know I mean it's so complicated talking about in dealing with and managing politically speaking managing bear hunts and grizzly bear hunts especially and polar bear hunts especially um yeah and I think collectively I don't know, maybe, I don't know if you, if we could have actually resisted bear, grizzly bear hunting and bear hunting overall becoming so politicized. I don't know if, if we ran sort of ran a human simulation a thousand times, right? How many times would we get to a place where we are now with bears so political and, and representing such a, um, a polarizing and impassioned discussion around hunting? between among among society and between different kind of subcultures and perspectives in 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 our communities and society probably many it probably maybe it's one of those that just is will continue to emerge um because of a variety of historical issues because of the how bears have been part of our kind of popular imagination and cultural discourse over the centuries and because we have collectively in north america undergone concerted campaigns of extermination on bears and so maybe maybe this is just one of those situations where um they are bound to be complex and difficult socially and culturally to to talk about and manage but it all but i also think you know can we can we continue to move the conversation forward on hunting through bears and start to engage people and i and i think we need to do it on both sides i think mm-hmm. the non-hunting the, the the part of the public and i won't call them all non-hunters because there are a lot of members of the hunting community who were who opposed the grizzly bear hunt and supported the the ban so i and this is what's fascinating about it to me is that you have these sort of super permeable and shifting communities of people where you have hunters who don't like grizzly bear hunting and you have non-hunters who are okay with it and support grizzly bear hunting um so can we kind of continue to move the that that the the needle around and the conversation forward on hunting and management of species through the lens of of grizzly bears um even if we never if if the hunt never comes back and even if we we kind of they kind of continue to be fairly um polarizing and and you know instigate a lot of passion um it might be one that we just need to really kind of everyone to willing to buckle in and keep talking about and keep engaging with, because um, there's just something to learn about our interactions and hunting through bears. Yeah. Uh, Maybe maybe that's why we love them so much, but why we love hunting them so much. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I, I often wonder if the way that we manage here in BC specifically, if the way that we managed the grizzly bear hunt, if it would have, you know, had a different result. Um, because mm-hmm. you know, you it says it used to say right in the regulations too that you did you weren't required to remove the edible portions of a grizzly bear. Yeah. So a but like a black bear, you're required to, and the same with any other animal you harvest, you're mm-hmm. required to remove all edible portions. Now, um 
I wonder if things would have been differently if uh, if hunters, you know, would have made it would have put that onus on themselves. I'm just saying, hey, this isn't right. We need to change mm-hmm. this a little earlier. I wonder if that would have made a difference. I I couldn't agree more with the question there. And, and the same similar thing happened with mountain lions, right? With cougars. Yeah, yeah. I, I believe you didn't used to have to, and now you do. Yeah. Have to, I think so. And and and, this, and you look at what is the only what is another species that that um creates that kind of impassioned debate and it's definitely cougar hunting mm-hmm. um and i completely agree i mean one of the things that we that we cling to and pride ourselves as as a um you know fair chase or ethical or or, or thoughtful hunting community is that part of what well, we eat it we're hunting for food and um you know and we kind of use all part that kind of narrative that that if we're being honest with ourselves, this sort of using all parts narrative um, has perhaps never been entirely accurate. Certainly it wasn't during the market hunting days. <laughs> um, and up until very recently, this, you're right, like the legal requirement to take all edible parts was not there for all species. No, exactly. But I also then, I get myself into this question of, well, but if hunting, hunting is a, has always been um, in terms of its uh, the modern era of regulated hunting has always been there as one management tool among many, right? We have habitat restoration mm-hmm. projects and we have closures and we protected areas and all sorts of different tools that managers and the public that we use to manage for healthy wildlife populations. And hunting is a tool in that. It's a tool for revenue generation. It's a tool for, um, various aspects of population control and, and not always just strict numbers, but also population control in the sense of um, sex ratios. Right. And in that sense, you know, is it less ethical to hunt something as a engage in the man and the regulated use that the use of regulated hunting as a management tool and you do your, you, you shoot an animal and you've, you've purchased your tags, you're contributing to the revenue stream needed is it is it inherently objectively less ethical to not eat all the animal yeah <laughs> yeah i don't yeah. you know i mean well you know i've never to be honest i've never i've never thought of it that way um i've you know that was just the way you know taking the meat out hunting for meat. i mean you know it's tricky because i can't honestly i wonder if i could honestly say i i mean like it doesn't matter what i shoot i i eat all the meat i take all the meat out anything mm-hmm. i can i take out but i'm not a meat hunter do you know what i mean mm-hmm. like i'll 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 pass on a on a small buck and wait for a big one i'll pass on a six point elk to wait for a bigger six point elk okay yeah so, do you know what i mean but i'm not i don't it doesn't matter what i shoot i everything comes home with me goes to my freezer and it gets eaten by me or I give it to, you know, my employees love it when I give yeah. them meat. So, and they eat it. So it's not wasted. Um, but that's interesting, but you don't consider yourself uh, well, I, a sort of hard categorized meat hunter. No, exactly. Yeah, Interesting. Okay. I mean, and I'm, and I think I land in the same place as you, but from the reverse side where I consider myself and, and I think I'm getting the sense that you agree that these categories that we, so superimpose are are probably not for most hunters. I think are not um, 
really reflective of the of what they of how we do things. But for the sake of argument, I consider myself a meat hunter primarily. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't really. I'll select by size or age if to the best that I can. If someone says to me, you know, this this area would benefit from younger deer being shot or does being shot. Um, but at the same time, I keep, I've got what we would call, what some people would call trophies. I've got hides and I've got skulls and I've got antlers mounted. Um, so do you know what I mean? I think you and I think we, you and I land in the exact same spot yeah. um, in terms of what we do with the animals we shoot and how, and how we think about and approach hunting. So it's like, really like, in a certain sense, does it, does it matter then, right? Are these, are these categories really that accurate and useful? Yeah, well, exactly. And I mean, it's so, yeah, I mean, there's just so many facets of it. It's, Mm -hmm. And, and I'll clarify, like I personally, for me would feel less meaningful and ethical, not taking out, not eating the animals I shoot. Um, I understand that there are cases like there was a, there was a large sheep call in the States recently this year, this year, um, yeah. to, to manage a, a really sort of, um, precise issue of sheep. And I understand that there are motivations for hunting and shooting animals, not grounded in meat consumption. That's not to say those sheep weren't eaten, but just, you know what I mean? That the, the motivation for it was not primarily meat consumption. Um, for me, so I, I support that. And I respect that that is, a, like I say, it's a tool. Hunting is being used as a tool for management in a very specific case. For me personally, my answer to my own question would be, I do feel less ethical if I wasn't eating. Um, I, I have no interest in hunting a grizzly and not eating the meat and, yeah. you know, before, those, mm-hmm. before the laws changed. Um, so I would personally feel less ethical, less meaningful, less, you know, those things. Um, but as a... <laughs> kind of philosophical question around the use of hunting and our purposes of it. It's, it's challenging. And I, and I think this is why I kind of get into this with, with bear hunting a lot is that like, it, it does, it challenges what we think of as these yeah. really neat and tidy. And that, um, and these are the things that bear hunting, you know what I mean? And whenever you talk about bear hunting or you, you get into bear hunting, it's kind of these questions, they just rise. And it's funny. Mm-hmm. It's funny how that one animal can bring out all these different nuanced conversations yeah absolutely uh and, and i mean i think i've i've been around a lot of them around polar bears as well a lot of northern communities they um guides you guys rely on um what the regulations would call sport hunters for a, a major income and mm-hmm. a lot of meat being brought into communities and with the u.s banning the the you know import of polar bear products that changed that changed the the economies around yeah and the northern economies and it's and it's it's not that yeah so does that include so uh, well i mean that's another yeah that's tricky too right i mean that's that's a slippery slope for all of them because what i'm if it turns out to be you know then it's going to be the brown bear that's not going to be allowed imported and then you know like a moose caribou stone sheep doll sheep do you know what i mean yeah it's just it's just it's one of those things. It's yeah. slippery, slippery slope. Scary. If you start thinking yeah. about that, you know, well, like it, it's the same with, you know, the border being shut down to all to American residents, how, you know, what impact it had on, on the outfitter associate or the yeah. outfitters. 
just from that for that one yeah, year. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and and this is, these are the parts of the hunting world that, yeah. um, like I say, are not they don't they don't always fit these kind of comfortable, neat, tidy narratives. No, they don't. That enable it's, enable yeah. a simplistic kind of pro anti hunting discussion. Yeah. And this is why I, I'm 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 really big on um, you know I, I encouraging the hunting community, which is you know who I more speak to. To really resist this pro anti narrative and divide, I, I just I don't think it's I don't think it's really reflective of how the majority of the public thinks about hunting. Uh, of course, there are folks out there who, no matter what, are pro hunting and no matter what are anti hunting. But that's the I think those are um, extremes that are not really the bulk of people. And I think as hunters, um, and I certainly say it to the non-hunting community as well you know, that's don't get let's not lock ourselves into that narrative that binary because um th- there's there's way more going on yeah to, to a lot of the hunting conversations regulations and then just is it right or wrong and is it you know are we pro or anti yeah and it's funny you you mentioned that because uh post our last conversation we had i had a, a number of emails just regarding the vocabulary mm-hmm. around the hunting. And we've kind of talked about this and I, uh, and I, you know, we won't dive into this, uh, into this right now, but just because it's going to lead to you know, <laughs> three more hours of conversation here. But I mean, maybe that's something we can, uh, you know, we can maybe uh, we can, we can talk about later on and we can mm-hmm. kind of get into that a little more um, is just, you know, this stereotypical well I, I shouldn't say stereotypical but one guy wrote it in as this is the stereotypical vocabulary in the hunting world and i think what he was kind of what he was kind of getting into was um just the way it's perceived or just the way um the conversations you know how they've gone with podcasts and stuff is uh, you need you know to engage in these conversations you need to be a scholar you need to yeah you need to have a huge vocabulary to talk about this which is completely not true um, so he and he felt that 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 we were sort of guilty of that yeah okay yeah, exactly yeah. and and it's just uh there was other there was other um in, you know there's other specifics that he wrote in talking about you know like on the meat eater and you know your your friend there you were on his show ben o'brien and mm-hmm. you know how they engage in conversations and like yourself they're all very smart you know very well spoken well written individuals and i think this this one person he kind of felt that you know he lacked that and so he he couldn't partake in these you know or engage in these conversations and that's super important i mean i i opened yeah. and i'm um i'm i'm absolutely willing to accept and plead a little bit guilty on that because we opened this discussion about Valerius Geist and how um how brilliant he was at moving from within and between and the scientific discussions to the sort of popular communication and um to the extent that I am not good at that I am more than um humble to admit that uh and so I I I take this guy's point absolutely and to as much as if we can if we alienate people with whether with language and with um, you know what can certainly be perceived as a sense of like superiority, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Um, 
then we're not bringing anyone in. And, and, yeah. and if we, if, if, if I, and if others do that and alienate both the hunting and the non-hunting community, that's the worst, then it's a complete yeah. failure because then what, who am I talking to and mm -hmm. what echo chamber am I just sitting in? Right. Um, and pushing away the other hunters who just be by virtue of the, the because we share a similar passion would already be willing. Hopefully we're all, we already share something in common. If I push them away, um, my God, there's, you know, something's, something's wrong. Having said that, um, I also encourage I, the hunting community to give ourselves more credit. We are a smart group of people who, and who do an activity that is extremely complex and necessary and thoughtful and meaningful. And I think, um, my experience is that most hunters that I know, um, are more than we can engage in these conversations and we can get up to, to, to we can, we can level up in our sort of sophistication or, or, or whatever our critical thinking in those. Right. Um, so I, it's a hard line to walk though. And I, yeah. and I take well, the guys it's an interesting sure. conversation. Definitely. Yeah. Anyway, on that note, buddy, uh, maybe uh, we'll continue this conversation later on down the road. Uh, but you got something exciting going on. Why don't you uh, tell everybody about, uh, about your podcast? Yeah, for sure. So um, I've been involved with Hunt to Eat for about a year and a half. And we recently just launched the Hunt to Eat show. So we've got, um, we launched it in early October. Um, got a couple episodes out now. Um, it's going to be sort of a full sweep of discussions around hunting. Uh, we've got, we've got hunters, we've got biologists, we've got non-hunters um we have journalists come on writers and it's this the idea that we're taking with it is is to really um focus on and organize it around hunt each three pillars so um, community real food and conservation and to kind of have discussions and guests that hit on those things and one of the I, the, the really the big things that we're trying to do with it is uh, think about how we can think about and learn about hunting in ways that might be totally off topic. So we have, we might, we have a poet on and, and sort of how can we learn about hunting? What can we, how can we think about what we do as hunters um, and draw inspiration from things that, that may or may not be at all related to hunting, but we have really great conversations. People are, have been super supportive. Um, it's, it's, uh, it's maybe not going to be for everyone. And that's what makes the hunting world great so we actually would love to have you on as well um yeah that'd be great about some of the work you've done and and i know you've i mean you've kind of exemplified a lot of the community aspect that that hunty really likes to to celebrate um yeah and you know i had focus. yeah i had my ting on and you know he kind of he kind of alluded to there was something going on but he he didn't spill the beans and he wasn't gonna he wasn't gonna spill the beans yeah anymore. no so yeah. they I mean they launched the magazine the new hunt eat magazine yeah. the hunt eat show podcast and there's gonna be a few other podcasts coming out as well super cool. um so we're, we're really trying to do a lot of kind of cross-pollination with other other like-minded people like you and like what you do with focus so yeah and that's um, cool you know that's the one cool thing about these podcasts is you can i mean they're they're yours and you the conversation can go it can go any way and it can go every way so yeah yeah and and, cool. and it's like it's great some people will find an episode that they're just like yeah this is just not for me <laughs> and then yeah and then all of a sudden we have someone on talking about um preserving wild wild food and and which how to cook cuts of meat and then all of a sudden that episode's for them and that's that's yeah. i think that's fine i don't that's, i think that's that the way looks, to do it yeah absolutely and it's again it's that's 
that's the coolest thing about these podcasts. Yeah, uh, sure. Super cool. Okay, man. That's great. We'll uh we'll talk about that soon and uh, I look forward to the hunts we got coming up. Uh so yeah, take care. Yeah, you too. Thanks a lot.